so alhamdulillah um yeah man i'm really grateful to to see you to connect with you virtually i wish we were able to gather in person but uh alhamdulillah the hearts are always connected and uh, yes mashallah so this i'm so happy that we're able to actually connect because basically a few weeks ago uh i started really like deeply thinking about this analogy of virtual reality and how it relates to the spiritual path and i was thinking about you because i know you had a few years ago written a piece on uh ibn arabi and inception the movie inception mm -hmm. and i know you and i had have had conversations about um a number of kind of like modern as well as traditional art forms and how mm -hmm. they are profound kind of tools or metaphors or analogies for different teachings within the Sufi tradition. And right. uh, it's an interesting, you and I actually both kind of like without knowing, we both had like this idea to do kind of Sufi commentary on pop music, on popular music. So that's pretty right. beautiful because I was inspired by Ibn Arabi's line that the, the lover, the Arif never hears a song, a poem, a riddle, or a panegyric mm -hmm. about Allah. Like it's all, it's, it's all mm -hmm. telling you if you could only see. So, right. mashallah, uh, I'm really grateful to have you and uh, grateful to dive in. Um, so there's so many like angles we could take and so many profound, um, art forms that give us a vantage point on this perspective. But I think, you know, before we jump into VR, I, I wanted to say that before that, the analogy that I was always exploring and that you explore in your paper is the, is the one of the dream, right? Mm -hmm. the idea of sleeping and dreaming is this profound tool. So, of course, you you wrote this whole piece on inception, and really, it's you could say a commentary on the prophetic saying, "People are sleeping or dreaming, and when they die, they awake, or they awaken." So um, maybe if you could just reflect a little bit on what inspired that piece and the idea of the world as a dream as it relates to Ibn Al Arabi. Right. So, alaikum. thank you so much for having me here. It's always uh, one of the, the greatest pleasures in this uh, lower world, uh, these kind of conversations with, with people of like heart. So, alhamdulillah, thank you so much for having me here. Um, and so the, the, the paper I wrote, Inception Ibn Arabi, was inspired as I was studying Arabic in Jordan and I was uh, actually uh, reading Ibn Arabi's uh, Fusus al-Hikam, the chapter of, on uh, uh, the, the Yusufian, the Josephine word there, which is a lot about dreams and imagination and dream interpretation. And then I went to see the movie Inception in Jordan, and it put me into a howl for like two, two weeks straight. Um, I immediately came home uh, after seeing that film and said, I need to wake up. This is exactly what the prophet was talking about. You know, nasinamu ida mata intaba. People are sleeping when they die, when they awaken. And then the prophet also says, "Mutu qabla anta mutu." Die before you die. 
So I came home immediately and took a khalwa. It's like, I need to wake up, you know, this. So the, the film really uh, sparked something very, very profound. It had a very profound effect on me uh, psychologically and spiritually. And then the paper came as a result of me trying to figure out and articulate and explain um, what was going on in that film and to use the film to help explain it not to be and to use it not to be to help explain the film. Um, so the idea of um, what we call ordinary life, Hayat dunya or something like that, uh, as being a dream uh, is very old. It's, it goes back, as we said, to the origins of the Islamic tradition. And it's in many pre-Islamic traditions as, as, as well too. You find it in ancient Greek plays, poems, traditions. It's in Shuangzi, the ancient Taoist thinker. Almost every religious intellectual tradition has some thinker or collection of thinkers that um, compare dreaming in real life and compare this kind of lower life, this world of shadows to a dream and the real life to the next life or to enlightenment or to being with God or the absolute principle or, or whatever it is. Um, the Islamic tradition is no different, just happens to be like with many things, it's very central and very clear um, in, in, in the Islamic tradition. And as with a lot of things in the Islamic tradition, Ibn Arabi explains it and examines it from multiple different angles. Um, so he, he says, uh, one of the quotes that, uh, again, inspired this thing is Ibn Arabi says, in reality, the entire terrestrial existence of the Prophet Muhammad sallam, passed us as a dream within a dream. Um, and he says, elsewhere, know that you are imagination and all that you perceive, khayal here, and, and that which you say, that's not me, it's also imagination. So the whole of existence is imagination within imagination. Um, and this kind of imagination that he's talking about is related to, but it's not quite the imagination where like, okay, I'm going to think up of a purple unicorn riding a rainbow or something like that. He specifically relates it to, um, I mean, while you're daydreaming, quote unquote, it's the kind of imagination that creates um, uh, the worlds in which we dream. Um, and in the paper, I get into that. There's kind of an objective world in, of imagination and a subjective one and they're connected in different ways. Um, but the, the basic idea is what we normally think of as solid, ordinary life, the things that for us seem to be most certain and solid are actually not. Um, and a lot of Sufis comment, you say, you know, the, the verse about them, you see the mountains, you think they're fixed, but they're passing like clouds in this regard. These things that for us, um, due to our kind of upside down or backwards perspective, the things that for us seem most immediate and most close and most solid are actually not very solid. They're constantly shifting, they're constantly changing. They're not real. What's really real, the truth, the reality, what's certain is with God. Um, and then how? what's the connection between the really real and the world of appearances? There are a lot of different metaphors used to that. You see how God has extended the shadow. There's a mirror metaphor. There's a kind of tajelli, unveiling or manifestation metaphors. But one of the most common ones and one of the ones that I think is kind of the most useful to use to help you kind of think through and get at this um, is that dreams. In fact, Ibn Arabi, in one place, I think he even says that God only made us sleep and dream so that we can realize that this is the like of our, our state right now while awake. Um, yeah, so we walk around thinking that we're... I wrote this down yeah. from your paper. I was revisiting it and you quoted Ibn Arabi said, the only reason God placed sleep in the animate world was so that everyone might witness the presence of imagination and know exactly another world similar to the everyday sensory world. 
So it's like a key exactly. to remind us there's exactly. far more going on here than, than this sensory. Exactly, exactly. Um, and even to point out, so some later Islamic philosophers like Mullah Sadra take this even further and they point out, they say, even this ordinary everyday world of senses that we experience, that's all uh, imagination too. Like we never actually come into direct contact with a floor or a bird or something like that. What happens is the physical, uh, the light or whatever comes into our eyes and then our mind or our brain or whatever creates an imaginal image of that. And that's what we interact with. So like I've never met or touched the physical, you know, Ahmed, Baraka Blue or whatever. I'm always dealing with an imaginal, imaginalized uh, representation or creation in, 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 uh, in, that, that comes about in my own, um, as a result of my own perceptual faculties. Mm. So the, the world that we live in um, is, is even the, the seemingly physical or material world um, is itself, even imagination from our own subjective um, point of view. Uh, it's a creation of our, our, of our sensory faculties. Um, but to, back to the Ibn Arabi's cosmological thing, one of the reasons I found Inception so helpful is Ibn Arabi often speaks of, and the Sufi tradition after him, speaks of levels of reality or hadarat, mm. different levels of existence. And that can be hard to, you know, we don't have a lot of parallels for that. It's not like dimensions in modern physics or something, it's something different. But I think one of the closest analogs to that is the idea of a dream within a dream within a dream. As you go deeper and deeper into a dream, you get further and further away from reality. Um, each level is kind of dependent on the level before it, but it's also ultimately all dependent on the dreamer. And so that there are a lot of things about the dream metaphor that map really well. I mean, Ibn Arabi uses it himself, but map really well onto um, Sufi cosmology and psychology and, and, and other things like that, which is, um, why I think it's been used by uh, Sufis and Islamic philosophers um, throughout the years as a way of ex explaining some of these difficult to grasp concepts um, and to uh, explain the, the reality, what it's like to wake up inside the dream. You know, if we're told by the hadith to die before we die and people are sleeping and when they die, they awaken, what's it like to wake up in this life? What's it like? And the experience we have of sleeping, dreaming, and waking gives us some keys that we can begin to think through that and understand that and help us do that really on our own. Yeah, mashallah. I mean, and that is, that is really the, the profundity of dream that we all have experiential knowledge, not just like theoretical abstract knowledge of because we've all been in situations that were extremely beautiful or terrifying or painful or pleasurable. And then we woke up and we felt either relief sometimes if you're in a difficult situation, like alhamdulillah, or, or like, oh man, I wish I could go back. That was so beautiful, right? right? So we all experience that. And the, the, like you say, the kind of unanimous voice of the wisdom traditions of the great prophets and sages and saints and avatars of history is this world is not as it seems. There, there is a... There is a way to, I mean, it's very interesting, right? The, the, the Buddhi, right? The Buddha is the awakened one. This is right, the whole tradition that is af based on this idea of waking up, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think exactly what you said, this idea of, you know, I think as modern people, we're so used to seeing 
reality as very horizontal, but whereas traditional people saw it as vertical. So that there are higher levels of reality that one can awaken into, um, higher levels of consciousness or realization, Um, right? So I think the dream is really profound. And I think only vis-a-vis that um, does the idea of like the imaginal realm start to kind of like, because like you said, we tend to think of imagination as less real, right? Oh, that's just your imagination. But this is, you know, from this perspective, imagination is more real because, and this is also ties very closely to the power of art, art, in fact, and why it is so central in human civilization and why we yearn for it, because it is actually accessing this higher level of inspiration. And, you know, again, another quote that you mentioned uh, that Ibn Arabi had is the world is an illusion. It has no real existence. And this is what is meant by imagination. For you just imagine that it, the world is an autonomous reality, quite different from and independent of the absolute reality. While in truth, it is nothing of the sort. Know that you yourself are an imagination and everything mm-hmm. that you perceive and say to yourself, this is not me is also an imagination so that the whole world of existence is imagination within imagination and i think you know you talked about cinema right inception in in a certain sense cinema is such a profound way to grasp this because the writer or the you know the of the of the you know screenplay all the characters with their lives and with their hopes and with their dreams and with their um depth they they have no existence outside of the imagination of the the writer Mm -hmm. the author and in fact clearly the author knows them better than they know themselves and is closer to them than they are to their very selves and relates to them in a way that is not even it, it doesn't relate to time or space or right. You think get into like these Akita manuals that are right explaining how the divine relates to the the human beings in the world, and it's very similar. It's like it's like we are in this divine imagination, this divine film, you could say. And I think really profoundly, this starts to get at this idea that you know Allah doesn't just see us right Allah isn't just the shaheed in that he is the all-seeing in a sense of like above looking down right all perspectives are written by Allah all perspectives are are really Allah seeing in a certain sense right so we have this this the famous verse you know, we will show them our signs on the horizons and within themselves until they come to know that he or that it is the real, the haq. And mm-hmm. this is often quoted by the Sufis, but the second part of that verse is also really profound because, Is it not sufficient for you that Allah, that he, it, who is over all things from all perspectives witnessing Mm -hmm. is the the one seeing through all vantage points right right and it's like 
you know, a film really gets at that because in this world, it's hard to imagine what that's, what's that, what that's like, because we experience it as the characters within this, this play or this film. But when we think of like writing it, then we can start to see how the author sees every perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, going back to what you're saying about, uh, Khayal and the importance of Khayal in the arts. I mean, Ibn Arabi and other authors talk about Khayal as the realm, so not just something that exists in your head, but an actual ontological outside realm of the cosmos, uh, wherein pure spirits and meanings take on tangible forms, and tangible forms take on sensible meanings, right? So because everything that we see and touch, everything that's tangible for us is an ayatollah, it's connected to, it has a meaning. So in a certain sense, everything is khayal. Everything is an imaging, is an imagining uh, in which the transcendent meaning or meanings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take on tangible forms so that we can experience them, communicate with them, um, so that uh, the name Allah here can be manifest, so that God can be manifest. Um, but also in order to be manifest, you have to be manifesting something. You're manifesting those hidden realities in the form of signs in the form of relationships people animals plants colors sounds all of these things and then because we are made in the image of god because because we are also creators we are also imaginers mm. right and so our creative acts are an echo or repetition of the divine creative act mm. because god is a musawwar we, the one who forms and fashions forms, we also make form and fashion things because God is the one who, in a certain sense, dreamed all of this into existence. You could say uh, metaphorically, as many Sufis has, we also dream things into existence because God has written everything that will ever exist. We, as his creation, also write things in terms of a kind of uh, echo of this, of this um, creative act. And the most profound writings and the most profound artistic productions, in a certain sense, reverse that creative process. So God, in a certain sense, imagines us, creates us, dreams us into existence and being. And then through our, uh, with divine aid and all of this, our works can then allow us to rise back and return to God, to interpret the signs, just as the Quran said, to interpret the signs uh, around us and to uh, facilitate the return um, to God. So this this is khayal is the meeting of meaning and form, and why it's so crucial to really all of the arts and really understanding existence. Everything in traditional Islamic cosmology has meaning, has purpose, and the way in which that meaning and purpose, which is in a certain sense intangible, abstract, is embodied and put in the form is through this mediating agent of khayal. And the way in which we interpret and go back to those pure meanings and ultimately from those meanings back to their author, to the, to the meaning of meanings, to Allah, to Al-Haq, is through the, interpret, the process of interpretation, ta'bir, um, crossing over from the sensible, to, from the dahir to the batin, from the sensible to that which transcends um, the sensible, and ultimately to a perspective that combines the two. Um, and so this, this is the, the real importance of the arts and what, what the arts, uh, especially the, the traditional arts, traditional Islamic arts uh, and, and others do for us. Um, 
and even the, the Quran, the Quran was sent as a reminder. It's full of ayat, which are the keys to unlocking the ayat within ourselves and within the world. So the ayat of the Quran, the verses, not just verses, they're also symbols and symbolic keys to help us understand these ayat and to return, um, to, return to, uh, to the one who, who made the ayat outside of us, inside of us, and in his book. So yeah, I mean, and this, all of this is getting at, I guess, and it's bringing up, you know, the origin, right? The return is to the origin. And so, you know, mashallah, you hear so much, right? People of our age asking, what does it all mean? Why are, like, right. why, why are we here? Why are we these conscious beings who experience um, selfhood and have this kind of internal experience of being conscious or self-aware and have knowledge and have concepts that don't even exist in the physical realm like eternity and infinity and can contemplate and are moved so profoundly by music and by architecture and by love and these other intangible things right and it's it's deep because so many people just say oh we can't know or the, you know but it's interesting because all these uh traditional peoples they they interestingly enough like no one like it was like yeah it's clear what we're here for the question is just can we realize that can we actually but so let's take the actual origin because that's really you know and we, we could talk about i think the actual origin then will like lead into this idea of the vr and the dream itself and the nature of existence and human selfhood that i think we're kind of like dancing around so it's like in the quranic narrative of course uh you know adam is created the kind of ancestral human archetypal human created out of a physical form, clay, earth, right? This earthly form, but then given the divine breath, right? So this consciousness is blown in. And of course, there's a really profound kind of creation story of the angels bowing, the teaching Adam, the names, the realities of all things, Iblis refusing to bow, and this kind of setting up the drama of human existence. Um, there's, of course, like the plane of a less than that. But then if we take the, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, really getting into the why, right? The hidden treasure, the idea that the, the, the ultimate reality was a hidden treasure, right? I was a hidden treasure that loved to be known. And I know Ibn al-Arabi has a lot to say about that as far as knowing oneself through oneself versus knowing oneself through the other or through the mere mm -hmm. reflection. And so I think maybe if you could just say a little bit about that and as it relates to not only existence, but really like human subjectivity as far as right. what we are and right. as far as it was understood by the Sufis. So I think the best way, the clearest way to explain this is, is the dream metaphor. Right. So, and this has a bit more to do with the concept of Khalifa. What, what does it mean to be a Khalifa? Um, or in other places in the Quran, an Imam. So in Surah Yasin, everything we've summarized in a clear Imam. What does it mean that everything, or God taught Adam all the names? What does it mean that all of the names are in Adam? What does it mean that the Imam has all things kind of summarized in? In him, and it's easy if you think about the dream. I go to sleep. I have a dream. Let's say I dream, you know, I'm uh, uh, LeBron James, and I'm playing in the basketball finals or something like that. Um, 
and I'm experiencing the dream through LeBron James's eyes. You know, the dream LeBron James. It's not me, you know, Mr. Ogunake in my bed. There's me, Mr. Ogunake in my bed. But in the dream world, there's LeBron James, and he's posting up against, you know, whoever, whoever is Steph Curry or whoever he's playing against, whatever. And so everything in that dream is actually Mr. Ogunake in the bed. Everything, the, the, the popcorn in the stands, the people in the audience, the basketball, the hoop, everything is, has no existence apart from me. If I, if I want, it would not be. Uh, however, LeBron James in that dream, since I'm dreaming that I am LeBron James, occupies a special and central role in that dream. He's that through which I experience the dream, centrally. Right, so because everything comes from me in the bed, um, everything in a certain sense is me in the bed, but I'm also seeing through LeBron James's eyes, right? I'm feeling through his hands, I'm shooting when he shoots. It's really me shooting behind him, right? And I'm hearing through his hearing in the dream. In a certain sense, the whole, because I'm in him, uh, the whole dream is, everything is contained in LeBron James. If LeBron were to get knocked out in the dream, the whole dream would disappear. Right. So the so the numerous sayings like this, you know, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have created the spheres. The the world won't vanish as long as there's someone who still says Allah, Allah, someone who fulfills this function of a khalifa. In order for the world to exist, there has to be a khalifa. There has to be an imam. That those per, that person or those people through which God dreams the world, through which God experiences and has mercy upon. And when Ibn Arabi taught mercy and existence are, are, are um, synonymous has mercy upon everything in, in, in creation. And if you notice some of the ways I was describing this, you hear echoes of things in the Quran. You didn't throw when you threw, but rather God threw. So LeBron didn't shoot when he shot, but rather Professor Gunaike in the bed shot, right? Not Latashbih, not comparing myself to God in this way, but you know. But you know, it, it also, when you, um, the hadith of Nawafil, my servant doesn't cease drawing near to me until I love him. When I love him, I'm the what? I'm the hearing with which he hears, the seeing with which he sees, the hand, very actual hand with which he grasps, the foot with which he walks. How is that possible? It's not some kind of hulul or incarnation or something like that, but I think it's better understood through the dream metaphor, right? LeBron, I, and, and Ibn Arabi points out the, the kuntu here in the, in the thing, it says, I was this all along, all along God's saying, I was your hearing and your seeing, and yet you didn't know. Yeah. Um, another way of this is when, when you say when you say Allahu Samuel Basir, God is the 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 hearing and the seeing. Uh, it, it doesn't just mean that He sees and hears, but rather all seeing and all hearing is His. Yeah. All seeing and hearing that happens in this world happen is it's God seeing and hearing. God is seeing and hearing through uh, through His through His creations, through the things that He's that that He's dreamed, through the things that He's imaginalized or created. Um, into existence. So just like you can say la ilaha illallah, la haq illallah, you can say la alim illallah. There's no knower but God. All knowledge happens billah, by God. There's no seeing except by God. There's no hearing except by God. There's no life except by God. It's the divine life that flows through and animates the entire cosmos. Just like in a dream, it's my life that flows through and animates everything in, in, my, own, in my own dream. Um, and so this, I think, then, so what's, what's LeBron's purpose? I mean, so LeBron might think, uh, if I'm in my bed dreaming of LeBron, LeBron might think his purpose is to win the NBA championship. 
But in this analogy, LeBron's ultimate happiness lies in realizing the fact that he's dreaming. Mm. He realizes that he's, he's dreaming and he can follow the path of the awakened ones and then he can wake up inside the dream. And that, that his ultimate bliss lies in that. Then he'll understand everything. He'll be in communion with everything. He'll be fulfilling the function for which he was created. Um, and he'll be able to best serve uh, not only the dreamer, uh, but also everything in the dream as well. Mashallah. Yes, and I love you mentioned this hadith nawafil, right? Which is really defining wilaya, right? Because really sanctification or sainthood or friendship, allyship. <laughs> allyship. Yep. And and you know, my you know the my the those near to me draw near by nothing more beloved than that which I have made obligatory. Right. The whole path, the whole deen and then continue to draw near by the extra acts of devotion. And really like, which isn't just extra prayers and fasting, but it's actually aligning oneself with light and with truth and with justice and with virtue internally. And you're right, you're aligning yourself with truth, truth. Until I love them, right? Then that's the, the actual like opening, right? That's the awakening. That love, that divine love is itself. And when I love them, I, be, I am. The hand with which they grasp, the tongue with which they speak, etc. And like you mentioned, Sheikh Al Akbar ibn Al Arabi's um, commentary is really profound because he says this "I am." It, it's often translated as "I become," but he said right. it really is "I am" because the 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 reality is that Allah is the eye with which everyone sees. It's the seeing through which everyone sees, but that that special love. And like you said, everything comes from the outpouring of love. I was a hidden treasure that love to be known, but this is a special fullness, a flowering of that sanctifying love that opens the awareness that Allah is the seeing. So only right. the awliya are those that are aware. It's, it's happening for all of us. Right. Allah is the one who is, is the hand of all of us. But you're right. not all aware of that. We're not all in a state of self-awareness. And that internal experience of that divine proximity, you know, which is, it defies the mind because, right, he is closer to us in our jugular vein. Our jugular right. vein is in us. So he's closer to us than in us. It's not even proper to say Allah is in us because in us is too far outside of us, right? It's not close enough in, in, to us. <laughs> in us, in us, in us is spatial. That Allah is not in space and time. Space and time are, quote unquote, in Allah, hmm. right? Just like, just like the space and time. I, I dream that you know I, I travel to Washington so I can be with you. The whole travel took place within me. The whole space, the whole time, that whole journey took place entirely. In fact, other places, if not, Abiyah says, realize that the whole journey was always in you and. <laughs> And so space and time, um, and it's not even that we see um, through Allah's eyes, it's Allah sees through our eyes. That's why the, the knowers are not called Arifullah, they're called Arif Billah, mm -hmm. um, knowers by God, because uh, ultimately it's God who knows himself through them. Um, one of the great images switching things now with the mirror is that Ibn Arabi and people later in the Akbari tradition, um, they say like all of creation is kind of like the mirror of non-existence is set up against the, the, the face of, of Al-Haq, the reality. And so all of existence is the reflection of reality, of the real, 
in the mirror of non-existence. And human beings are special. Human beings are the eye or the pupil of the eye in that reflection. So in San in Arabic, mankind and in San also means pupil. So they use this, this pun. So uh, it's that through which the image appears. So if you close your eyes, there's no image in a mirror anymore. Um, it's the reflected, it's the reflection of that which, which sees. That's, that's, that's what we are. And our ultimate happiness, as you said, lies in becoming aware of the way things really are. You know, the famous, Oh God's prayer of the prophet, Oh God, show us the reality of things as they really are. That's where our, our happiness, um, our, our, our true happiness lies in is knowing the way things really are. Um, so this is the way things are, whether we realize it or not. Like Rumi said, for years I knocked at the door, it opened, I realized I've been knocking from the inside. Right? What happens is a perspective shift. Yeah. You know, and oftentimes uh, a lot of scholars following William Chittick, they'll translate marifa um, as recognition. Right? Because it's something that in a certain sense is already known, but is recognized. The reality is already there. The reality doesn't change. What changes is our understanding. We all of a sudden recognize, oh, this is the case, and this has been the case all along. God has been closer. God just felt so far away. But now I come to recognize that God has been closer than anything, closer to me than my very self all along. Um, and so I think this, this is something that dreams in particular and uh, contemplating, med uh, meditating on the, the, the ayats, the, the symbols, the signs that is dreaming can, can more, some of the things that they can show us. Um, and also, as you said, the various arts also do this too. You know, Shakespeare, all the, all the world's a stage, all the men and women merely players, right? So if you think if you're acting a play and something happens and you get lost in your character and you forget that you're, you're acting in a play and then something maybe happens in the middle of the play, you realize, oh, okay, it's not so bad. I'm, a, I'm just playing my role in this play there's a director and you, you, can't, you get a different perspective. You recognize something different about the reality of, 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 of your situation, even while you're in it. Um, yeah. And, and, and so it's, like we talk about like Shakespeare's greatness and any other great kind of playwright is their ability really to develop the character such that they're like such depth, right? Such depth right. that they really become alive, you even said, right? They, right come alive and, and that they don't only represent themselves, but that they represent deeper like potentials and archetypes within the right. human being such that each one of them is its own being, but yet is this great lesson for all of us, right? right. Um, so perhaps this is a good kind of like time to bring in the VR analogy because it, you know, it's something that you and I talked about. And I think there's a way in which, especially for like modern people, um, it really, you know, adds a layer so really it comes down to the idea that you know according to the quranic narrative the human being in this time out of time was a pure spirit in the divine presence right in the state of oneness unity knowing witnessing experiencing love vastness fullness wholeness completeness and this is where all of us are from right this is the plane, this is what they call the plane of Alest, as you know, and like you, you mentioned, it's the call and response, the divine call and response. Alest to be Rabbi Kumbala Shahidna. Am I not sure, Rabb, 
Yes, we bear witness. And the word rub obviously usually translated as Lord, but really the, the, the one who brings through stages to fruition, mm -hmm. carries mm -hmm. through each development of the journey, right? And so the bala, as the Sufis point out, it means yes, it's an affirmation, but it's also tribulation. So it's a accepting separation, that we're coming to this realm of separation. So that realm really is the, the, it is the garden, and it's paradise. It is the presence, right, that we all yearn for. And of course, Rumi uses the analogy of the reed flute that, right, in the riverbed, you know, perfect piece as a reed and then cut and taken away and blown into and wind blown into utters this cry, this yearning for return. So, but basically, if we look at this kind of virtual reality um, analogy, you could say that we were in this, this space, we were in this place with the divine ultimate reality. And we were experiencing this perfect love and perfect peace and perfect knowledge and witnessing. And at a certain point, the Allah gave each one of us a gift. And we opened the box and we said, is it for me? Yes, it's for you. I've made it just for you. And we open it and it is a virtual reality headset, right? Oculus Rift. And we, we put it on and we're, we're, we're immediately immersed in a realm, in a world of, of great beauty and vastness and experiences and uh, blue skies and the oceans and the flying things and all of these. And right, it's, you made this for me? Yes, I did. All for me? Yes. Right? And you experience this great love. But then it's like, right? Uh, as you're going to kind of de depart mm -hmm. into this, this game world, Allah says, don't forget that I am the one who created you and created this, and I'm with you this whole time, right? And so we enter into our human incarnation, right? We enter into this human birth, right? And we very quickly, in the divine wisdom, we kind of forget. We forget about that pre-womb realm. And uh, the great um, prophets, right? Allah doesn't just leave us, but sends the great prophets to remind and to help us decipher, right? What this whole thing is and remind us, ah, oh, this is why we came. Okay, we came to, right, to remember that in fact, we have never left this room with Allah. We're still in the room with Allah. But we're, you know, and this is why, like, this idea of, um, and what you said, you know, when we were talking about this, you added this other dimension. It's not just the prophets, but the prophets are reminding us that these, these the, the, the kitab of the revelation, the revealed books, is like, it's like a Rosetta Stone, where you have two languages and one you know, and then that, that explain, that'll translate the other one. So the whole world, ayat, it's all verses. So if you have the revelation in, the, in the, the prophetic dispensation, it tells you how to translate the ayat. The the outside and the things inside yourself. Right, right. right. So that's, that's profound. And, you know, this idea, you know, in the hadith of Jibril, the definition of ihsan, beauty, excellence, right? to worship Allah as if you see him. And if you don't see him, he sees you. So it's this, to be in this state of presence 
in the in the game, right? Okay, I am walking. I am this character, right? right. This is my avatar in this game. But I am going to play this game as if I can see the ultimate reality and, and as if I'm aware that I am in the room with the ultimate reality, right? As if I can see through the back of this headset and see what's really going on. And if I can't do that, know that that is what's going on, right? right. And then we added the, the level of that, the idea of of, you know, the hadith nawafil, that wilaya, sanctification, is the is when basically Allah takes the back off the virtual reality headset. So now it's transparent to this higher level of existence. That you're in this world, but you, now you realize you're in the room with Allah. And you're actually not, you're experiencing it. You're recognizing it, right? This ma'rifah. So you're experiencing the room and, and then it becomes kind of augmented reality, right? AR. So it's like, you see, you're still see the game happening and you're in a certain sense playing it, but you've died before you died. You've awakened to the next level of reality. So ultimately, you're not experiencing it in the same way, right? You are, you are partaking in it, but in a way that's really transparent to, to ultimate reality, right? And if we say like this, this realm, that we're, this higher realm we're talking about, that's our ruh, that's our true self. Right. But and, and then we got into this level, and I'm sure you might have some things to say about this particular I know Ibn Arabi would have that because to bring it back to inception and the dream within the dream, even the ruh itself is a dream. It's the ruh itself, the spirit, is another like set of goggle. You could say that the ultimate reality is actually right, to use the analogy, poetic license, you know, is experiencing through and there is no one in the room but Allah la ilaha illallah there is no self even higher self there's just who right I mean so the the um like it says in Surah Taha like Allah said through the the burning bush la ilaha illa anna you know you know there's la ilaha illa anna there's no I but the I but the ultimate and it's one of the reasons why one of the interpretations of the hadith meditate upon the signs of god but don't meditate upon the essence lest you perish the divine essence does not it's that's the that is the domain of ultimate tawhid there's it does not permit of any subject object duality which contemplation requires you're contemplating something as a contemplator there's contemplated right um allah especially in his uh, exalted essence, is not a thing that can be contemplated. So, so someone told one of my teachers who always said, oh, I, you know, I, I, don't believe in, I don't believe in anything. And he said, oh, we're the same. I don't believe in anything either. Allah is not a shay. It's not, it's not a thing, right? It's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not a thing. The divine essence is beyond any relationships beyond any subject-object duality. It's absolute tawheed. But as Ibn Arabi and others say, even if you say it's beyond, that's in a certain sense to limit it. So it's also beyond being beyond. It's so transcendent. It's not just tanzih, transcendence or, you know, incomparability. It's, uh, it transcends the transcendence. 
and then is also manifests itself as imminent in and as everything. And so this is where, so I think that like with all analogies, all analogies conceal and reveal, just like all creation, all creation, you know, that Allah has 70,000 veils of light and darkness. A veil, if you want to see something that's invisible, right, you know, throw a blanket on it. It will both reveal and conceal the reality. So all of these metaphors, all of this language, all the things that we're using, they're revealing aspects of reality, but at the same time concealing them. So the, the VR analogy reveals um, a, lot of, a lot of things and it conceals. So we, we've kind of talked about the things that it can reveal and also the things that, that it can conceal. Um, but what's really interesting to me in this is why, why did we have to, you know, why did Adam have to fall out of paradise? Why did we have to come into this world? Why did the world have to be created in the first place? And so I think this, the dream, the VR kind of gets at this through, the dream really gets at this. So it ought to be explained this in a couple of different ways. It begins with Fusus al-Hikam, explaining that God, by virtue of his knowledge that a thing has in, of in itself, is not the same that it has of itself through another, like looking in a mirror, right? So the knowledge you have of what you look like is different, on its own is different from what you see when you look in a mirror. That gives you something different. Um, or another way he explains, he said, among the perfections of wujud, being, existence, is that it includes imperfections. If it didn't also include imperfections, then there'd be something, in a certain sense, missing from it. Right? So the God knows himself in himself perfectly, um, but without creation, you could say, and this is again speaking somewhat poetically, without creation, without the realm of imperfection, without the realm of distance, creation, separation, he couldn't know himself as other, even if that knowledge as other is only virtual and partial, couldn't know himself imperfectly in a certain sense. So right now you, you're awake, you're, you, know, you, you have a certain self-consciousness and self-awareness. That's different from the awareness of self that you have when you're in a dream, or even if you have a lucid dream, you dream and then you realize that, that you're dreaming. There's a kind of different recognition than that, that you have that, that, that completes things. Um, or another way he says, you know, Allah has all of these different uh, divine names. In order for God to be the khaliq, there has to, the creator, there has to be a khaliq, there has to be creation. In order for God to be the forgiver, there has to be people that sin. In order for, so there are these aspects of the divine reality that require creation and manifestation. And that creation and manifestation implies separation and separation implies imperfection, which implies pain and suffering. And so uh, Adam and all of us, Bani Adam, uh, as a result, as humanity, we had to come down. Uh, and Simnani has the best, William Chittick has great translations, Simnani's class this. Uh, Adam had to come down and he had to step out into the arena of love. Because anyone who's ever been in love knows it's not all roses and flowers. That honeymoon period's only part of love. Love is really love and love is matured as love in the fires of separation, of pain. Um, and so this is, this is why um, Adam had to, and all of us, Benny Adam, had to step into the world to know God in himself and in his manifestations, to know the fullness of the divine reality, both al-Batin and al-Dahir. Um, and this is, the, this is the, why we had to put the VR goggles on. We had to know God both in himself, uh, in his essence, and in his manifestations, to have that complete knowledge and that complete intimacy. So you think of going into creation, we think of it as a, a kind of loss, a loss of intimacy. But it's precisely that going into creation that allows for the greatest intimacy possible. 
It's precisely that separation, that union of union and separation that allows for a more profound union. But one way one Mauritanian Sheikh explained it to me, it was like, you know, human beings, we're like mirrors. We exist on every level of reality. Angels are just like glass. So Allah just, you know, kind of sees right through them. But we can be mirrors for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we have that, that we have these bodies, we have this like black surface, we have this domain of separation or seeming separation. We have a uh, kind of psyche, we have nafs, we have ruh, qalb, sir, everything. And so just as the mirror has that kind of black surface at the back that allows it to be a reflection, as well as that clear glass part, us existing at all levels of the cosmos uh, is what allows us to kind of mirror, um, just because Allah, the being of God also, you know, in a certain sense, covers all, all these, every, all of these levels of being come from him. And so we're a kind of comprehensive being that summarizes um, the divine secret or essence and its manifestations. Um, and so this putting on the goggles is, um, it's, it's actually a way for us to get closer, paradoxically. Mm. Putting on the goggles, we, it feels like we're getting further away, but it's actually a way for us to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A, a kind of poetic, don't take this analogy too seriously, but you know, let's say your, your, your beloved is a filmmaker, right? And it's poured his or her heart and soul into a film. You watch that film, you've gotten to know that person better, right? You, you look at the, the things that, I mean, and you'll, if you know that person, you'll understand the film better. And if you know the film, you'll understand that person better uh, because the film and that person are ultimately separate things. Um, and so the, the VR goggles uh, creation, Adam being sent down, us coming into this world, and in a certain sense, from a certain perspective, it's separation, it's distance. Um, but uh, from another perspective, it's that which allows for closeness and it allows for the kind of closeness that's the envy of the angels. Mm. Yeah, so there's a few things here. I mean, this, this piece about love um, and created from love and also like, you know, this important aspect of our tradition, especially emphasized by the Sufis that everything that is loved is Allah, right? Melana Rumi is very like open about this, that anything that is loved by people, whether it's wealth or house or your father or mother or your spouse or whatever it is, beauty, a flower, that these are all the traces of of Allah's names that you are you are actually Allah is communicating to you through these things and you are falling in love and when the veil is removed you'll see that who was loved was always uh, Allah and so also to try to be in a state of recognition of that and so you know like Ibn Arabi says all the cosmos is is the lover but also the beloved so it's like it's this reciprocal relationship. Um, so there's that point. And then also, and I know, you know, I think we should bring out that, um, you know, one of the interesting things about, again, where the analogy falls short or conceals is that it is a game, but yet there are real consequences for how you wake up, right? And so, you know, 
Ibn Arabi says a really profound, like a commentary on the Sirat, right? In kind of Islamic uh, eschatology, uh, after death and resurrection, that, that the souls uh, will cross over this Sirat, right? And it, it's over the fire and it leads to the garden. And basically what Ibn Arabi says is that when you like basically each moment of your life is you are building your sirat. Mm -hmm. When you get there, you see like, oh, this is, I was, right? And so some people have great difficulty crossing over. Some people cross like lightning. Some people running. Some people jogging. Some people crawling. Some people have other difficulties, right? But the profundity of that that he points out is like, it is nothing other than each breath, each moment of your right. life you are crossing right. over. <laughs> right. right. No, another thing Ibn Arabi in the tradition say about the eschatology is in a certain sense, with all of our actions and our thoughts. In, in the Akhirah, uh, what's internal here is external there. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's ten, again, it's a world of imagination, imaginal world. So um, uh, the, the ayat are the, the intangible forms, let's say anger, lust, pride, piety, whatever, they take on tangible forms. So the faces on that, they will be shining, so on and so forth, all of these things. Um, the, with all of our actions and all of our thoughts and all of our intentions, we're weaving our body of resurrection. You know, so it's, it, and I mean, in a certain sense, you kind of see it in this life, especially as people get older, not all the time. You know, you, you see some old people who have just taken care of people their whole lives and loved God and loved others. And then there's a certain kind of glow and happiness they have. Um, to, you just see it on their faces and other people who have been consumed anger or other things. It, it leaves its traces as well, too. But that's uh, only a small thing compared to, you know, that day when everyone's sight will be piercing. Um, but the, the thing, the thing I think that's really keen to recognize here is, as you pointed out, there's Quran has some interesting passages, you know, we didn't create this, this world is just play and distraction and delusion and vain boasting. But on the other time, God did not create the world in play, in sport. Right? So what's, how do you, how do you, the world is just play, but God didn't create the world in play. Quran is full of some of these interesting paradoxes that are productive to uh, to, to 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 think through. Um, so yeah, the world is kind of playing that it's less real than the real. It's not what's ultimately real. It's not what's ultimately important. The piling up of wealth and honors and accolades—that's ultimately not what it's about. You know, it's okay. Congrat, good for you. You became the king in a dream. Yeah. Right? Or you you, oh, you you beat you right you you. You, you, you killed everyone in the in the game, and then you you know got right. the wealth or whatever. You got all the gold coins, and then right. you took it off, and was like, oh my god, you 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 realize it wasn't right. real, right? right. You, so you've 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 won you've won you've beaten Street Fighter, but you haven't eaten anything in three days. You're not in good shape, you know. It's uh, so there's there's that sense in which the world is just a game. But then in the other sense, the world wasn't created in sport. Everything, as you, you mentioned, um, the concept of um, and she mentioned there's no rub without a marabut, there's no rub, there's no lord without a particular uh, vassal, without a particular abd, slave, servant, over whom that rub is bringing that marabut, that particular person, or it doesn't even have to be a person, that particular thing to full maturity. Um, the rub comes from the same root as tarbiyah, to raise, to grow, to rear, 
And so the, the function of the Rabb is to really bring, uh, to bring whatever it's in charge of to full maturity. Um, and so this, going back to the verse in Surah Fusilat, all of the signs that were being shown in the world and in ourselves are part of this process of tarbiyah. It's like a specific set, it's like a specific movie or message designed for each one of us to bring us to the realization of in this it's it's the real to bring to a realization of reality and for the the those of us uh, for you know inshallah will make us among these people the people of felicity they realize it quick and easy relatively quick and easy and then for other people it takes longer and it's harder and it's more difficult um but everything that we experience in this life and the next are signs designed to help us realize the truth and it's kind of almost like a something particularly designed for each and every one of us. Um, but the other thing that I really wanted to bring out with this, uh, something that I haven't quite yet figured out to fit into the VR analogy, but um, it kind of fits in the terminology and others, is the centrality of the role of the prophet. So we talked a little bit about revelation. But so going off the theme of love, you know, love is clearly central in the Hadith Nawafil, in the Hadith of the, the Hadith Qudsi, of the hidden treasure, which um, it has an interesting kind of uh, history. Ibn Arabi says that he asked the, the prophet, he's like, in a dream, he's like, did you, did you say this? He said, no, I didn't say it, but it's true. You know, it's, it's attributed to Dawood, but it's, it's true, so you can keep saying it. Um, but uh, the, um, the, you can see, I was a hidden treasure, and I love to be known, I love to be recognized, so creative creation. But there's another, a third part uh, having to do with love that's really important, and that's in, 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 in the Quran. In Tuhibullah, say, O Prophet, if you love God, then follow me, and God will love you. Um, and Ibn Arabi says, this goes back to what you were saying before about whatever we love, it's actually the reflection or the sign or the trace of Allah in that thing that we love. So even if it's something really damaging to us, like let's say heroin or something like that, a lot of fentanyl. There's, there's some aspect of peace, of relaxation or whatever, tranquility, pleasure in that, that people are seeking. Ultimately what they're seeking is the reflection. If, if there was nothing of Allah in it, it couldn't exist. Mm -hmm. If something was not an ayah, it couldn't exist. Everything that exists, whether it's harmful, you know, even the things that the Quran condemns, there's, there's some benefit in it, there's some harm in it, but the harm outweighs the good, so keep away from it. So Ibn Arabi says, take, uh, take from the Prophet whatever comes from the Prophet. Take everything that comes from him without any discrimination. Take everything from the Prophet, but don't take everything from Allah. Only take from Allah what the Prophet takes from Allah, right? Because you can, you can when, when you're chasing, let's say, a high, or good experience or something like that. What you're chasing out is your memory of intimacy and happiness and newness with, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? But if you chase that in drugs, if you chase that in things outside of the sunnah, it's gonna be damaging for you and actually lead, lead you further away from the fulfillment. Like a bird, I don't know if you ever see this in Seattle, sometimes birds here, they'll see the reflection of, um, of flowers in a window and they'll fly straight into the glass. And I hurt them. So that's, that's what all of these ayats are, you know. But the way of the Prophet is doing is it's, it provides a pathway to guide us back to the source, to the origin of, of those things. So you can fly, if you're a bird, you can fly straight to the flower and you don't get confused and bash into the glass. 
uh, a bunch of times. Because what you love in those glass reflections, if you're the bird, is the flower. You know, it's, it's, it's natural. It makes sense that you'll fly towards those things, right? Because it's the beautiful flower that you're seeking. But what you need to do is, if you really love that flower, you need to follow the one who's come from that flower and gone back to that flower. Um, and that's what will take you back to the flower and will allow you to, to recognize your beloved state and regain that, that awareness of your intimacy. Uh, regain your awareness of your true self, who you really are. Um, and so the, the, the role of the prophet is really central. And that's why spiritually um, the process of awakening is really nothing than following in the prophet's footsteps. The prophet is the one who is awake. He's the perfect exemplar of being awake in the dream. And so all of these various aspects of his sunnah, uh, uh, are what lead us to that uh, awakened state. Mm. Yeah, and you know, mashallah, I'm so happy you mentioned that, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And also, and you're, you know, you're getting at it, but I wanted to also bring up the the way it ties in with virtue, because I think as modern people, we think of knowledge and we can even kind of abstract when we think of spiritual or mystical knowledge as like, Ooh, I want that, right? There's like, but really, of course, the Sufi path, it's all about whoever surpasses you in adab and like etiquette mm -hmm. surpasses you in the path, right? Uh, to take on the attributes, the qualities of God, which as you mentioned, the perfect mirror the way to understand what that means in human form is the prophet, the Quran walking, right? There's no other way to see that embodied except for him and his inheritors, the awakened ones. And so it also has to do with the, the, this, right? On the kind of like outward surface level of religion, right? It's like what you tell children, right? It's like, you know, if you're good, you get candy. If you're bad, you get, right, spanked. And that's not untrue in the spiritual world too, right? But it's that there's a deeper reality that your true nature is to be a mirror of perfect uh, mercy, perfect love, perfect justice, all the divine attributes. And you become more yourself to the extent that you uh, polish the mirror of selfish attributes that you associate with yourself, any of the egoism, right. right? And that's why the Prophet وسلم, he is more you than you are because right. he's the perfect embodiment in al Kamil. He has the perfected humanity, which is right. at the core of each one of our beings, but we aren't at the core of our beings, right? So we right. have to chip away to get there. And that is yep. his sunnah. And so, you know, I think that's beautiful. I think of like Aladdin, right? And, um, you know, uh, you know, the uh, Jafar, right? Jafar, he wants, he wants to get um, the lamp, right? He wants to be the genie. He wants that knowledge. He wants that awakening, but he doesn't want to take the true path to it, right? He wants to, and so he gets trapped in it. There's something about you have to actually be selfless. And even they talk about on the path, you have to give up even desiring higher states or awakening. It, you have to truly um, come into ubudiyah, true servitude, because the, the right. more extent to which you give up your irada, right? You just, you, you submerge your individual will in the divine will. In right. Sheikh Sheikh Shadli perfectly said, nothing keeps the servant 
from closeness to God so much as desire for union with him. Nice. Right. There's nothing, I, there's, again, it's like a character in a dream or an avatar in a game wanting to be the create, wanting to be the dreamer or wanting to be the creator of the game. As, as the particular, you know, dreamed figure, character in a dream or the, you know, whatever character or avatar in a video game, you're nothing. And the sooner you realize your nothingness and the sooner you adapt, adopt an attitude of just gratitude and surrender, Islam, uh, the more that you'll be able to recognize this. And this, this notion of uh, the, the relationship of virtue and knowledge is, is really important. And this is true. Um, uh, it's, it actually runs through a lot of the Islamic sciences. It's not even just in, in it's just highlighted in Tasawwuf, but it's traditionally in everything. So there's a famous uh, um, poem of um, Imam Shafi, he says, I complained to Waki of the weakness of my memory. And he said, stop disobeying. Knowledge is the light which God gives to man and he doesn't give it to the disobedient. Right? So even, even in basic knowledge, there's an idea that the uh, knowledge is a light and the more kind of reflective, you can use reflective or transparent or translucent, whichever metaphor you want to use, your character is, the better it will be able to hold or transmit that knowledge, right? Or there's another saying, it's in um, uh, Sufi Tena, the 20th century, the biography of Shaykh Ahmed al-Alawi, it's like, unless man melts in the, the hands of God, truth will melt like snow in his hands. Allah. Right? Un unless, unless you, unless the container, your container becomes of one substance or becomes like the content, that content won't stay with you. And I think all of us have experienced this to some extent. There's something we like get and we keep trying to get and we keep trying to get, but something, it doesn't fit us. The, 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 the content doesn't fit our mental, conceptual or existential containers. Um, then we've grown up a little bit, something's happened, we've changed, we transform, we change our perspective, and all of a sudden it clicks. And what was impossible for us to get a perspective on something, something changes, we change existentially, and all of a sudden we can receive it. You know, you can hear, you can hear something, you can read a verse of the Quran multiple times and it just doesn't click. And then something about you changes and all of a sudden you can be receptive to that um, and, and, and you can receive that. And that's true of even ordinary things. I mean, we talk about like, um, I don't know, racism or something like that. You have a certain disposition, a certain experience in the world. It, it just, it doesn't, you don't get it. And you're like, okay, yeah, people say this thing happens. Then something changes. Maybe you have some experiences. You see some things. You're like, oh man, I didn't realize this is what things were like. Something has changed. And all of a sudden, all these things your friends were telling you about discrimination, whatever they said, it clicks. That's on a very, you know, low level. Um, but when it comes to these high levels of, of reality, it's even, it's even more true. So the degree to which your character conforms to that of the Prophet, the walking Quran, is the degree to which you're uh, receptive. But it goes both ways. It's a virtuous circle. The more you know, the more you're able to see things as they really are. Um, and the less, and, and the better, you, better adab you'll be able to have. You'll be able to give proper adab to a tree, to a frog, to your neighbor, to your relatives, to you know the brothers in the masjid or whatever, because you know who they are, you know who you are. The more you advance in knowledge, the more you'll advance in adab, the better your character will be. So it's a virtuous cycle. Better character leads to better and deeper knowledge and better and deeper knowledge leads to better character. And all of this is just following in the footsteps of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
who has the per the, the most you know perfect knowledge of of God and, and, and of reality um, possible. But this doesn't mean that it's uniform. This this is also a mistake that people I think often have too. That like okay everybody's going to look and behave one way. No, it's, it's, it's not like that. You see that even with the companions, even with the companions from this paradise, even with the family of the Prophet Islam, even with the great shuch and scholars, they'll have very different personalities, very different styles. And that's what, um, that is the most true and accurate uh, manifestation of uh, the Muhammad, the Mohammedan reality in their particular place and time. Right, so the Prophet Muhammad ibn Abdullah was in a particular place and in a particular time. Right? Even those close to him were in slightly different positions. Right? They had different relations with people, they had different things, and so they had different roles. And each one of us were in a different context. So you take the same white light, you shine it on something red, it's going to give you red. You shine on something green, it's going to give you green. So it, shouldn't, it should be all alike. And you, you experience this when you meet people of sanctity. There, if you've ever been blessed to, to, to meet great scholars or great, great shuyuk, they're all different, very, very different, and yet they're all the same. They have the same perfume emanating from them, but it has different flavor because they're all different people in different contexts. So if you have a perfectly clear mirror, you put it in different positions in a room, it's going to show you different things. It's going to look different. The actual substance of that mirror, no one can actually see. No one's ever seen what a mirror looks like. You only, you, only see, you only see what's reflected therein. And so if you've really done the polishing work, you won't look exactly like your teacher. You won't look exactly like uh, somebody in Yemen. You won't look exactly like someone in the Hijaz. You'll look different. But if that polishing has been done well, you'll be serving the same reflective uh, capacity, serving this, the, same, the same function. You will have become who you really are. It doesn't mean that your personality traits and quirks and things like that just pop out of existence. Right. Not at all. And it just means that, that now you're reflective in your place and in your time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I remember Sheikh Abdul Hakimrad, one of his uh, contentions was something like, look at how amazingly, like, um, kind of diverse the Oliya are, like the, this, and look at how, like, pitifully same those who take the path of evil are like it's it's, it's just like the kind of but but you know i think you know this is really beautiful what you're if saying I, is that if I, if I could, there, there's, there's a really important point another thing is that's because the aulia are those who have realized uh the full freedom of the of human nature mm. right so those who are trapped and bound by their egos by other things they're limited they're necessarily limited. And in a certain sense, they're flattened by the same sets of forces, right? How well, Afsani things, things like that. And creates, you know, the variations. There's Pol Pot, there's Hitler, there's, you know, there's, there's whatever. But there's certain patterns because it's the same forces that bind and, 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 and limit us and darken us. But um, those who have transcended that have achieved full freedom and it seemed but they achieve that full freedom through incredible discipline and following the sunnah. Um, and it's like, I'd like to compare it to um, like, you know, gymnasts or break dancers or something like that. Mm -hmm. They do all of these exercises and follow all of this rigorous discipline. So they achieve this incredible freedom of movement. And it's the, it's the same thing. Those, those, um, the things that the shuyukh and the real ulama are capable of doing and being 
far exceeds the imaginations of what we even think it, it could be to be human. And that of the prophets, the NBIs, is even further. The freedom that they have is even, is even greater, but it's a freedom that in a certain sense is won or is granted um, through the kind of widening of the existential capacities through worship and through following the example of the prophet yeah and it's beautiful what you say and it's so true that like the olia the saintly ones they truly look at people through that eye of just divine awe like they you know that's one thing you see uh you know uh, the fuqaha they tend to look through the rulings right and the ones that really know they tend to see very few things that are impermissible because they know there's great vastness right but they're putting the things in those categories but the the Arifin, the knowers, they're just looking at the ayat and they're just seeing like what is Allah is doing with, with your mirror, like what Allah is showing in your mirror. And I've found that they always, they, they, they confirm people in their individuality. It's not mm -hmm. like, oh, you need to right, not be like that. It's, it's actually this really freeing, empowering, right. like, mm -hmm. It. and then they see you where you're at in your journey and it's, there's no judgment involved it's just like you know you're, you have this knot and that knot and here let me help you untie that and, and you know you know but it's just pure love you know and uh yeah that's beautiful mashallah. yeah no abs absolutely they i mean it's again the, the it's people who are awake in the dream and so when they see you they see the dreamer they see the dreamers so there's a there's a kind of famous uh i think it's a turkish Sufi song that says, I look around and all I see are saints, right? Because all, 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 all they see is the, the potential, the Mohammedan reality, the, the secrets uh, within, each, within each of us. Um, now also those who are gifted to become guides and things like that, they see the noddings, they see the things that are keeping us from realizing and recognizing that and they can help us with that. And oftentimes, I mean, traditionally the Fuqaha and the Arifin weren't always separate groups. You had a lot of Orafa, who were also fuqaha, and they were often some of the best because they could see this, and then you know they could this fuqaha. They were doing this kind of almost spiritual guidance on a broader social level. Like, okay, what are going to be the 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 rulings and the decisions that are going to be able to best move our society in a different way? And the thing you notice about the great fuqaha, or like the the founders of the madahib, is they give different rulings for different circumstances. Mm -hmm. Mama Shafi's fiqh in Egypt is different from the one in Baghdad yeah. uh, with, with different people. So that you recognize, okay, this is the goal. This is where we're trying to move. Um, we're, we're trying to help people be themselves. Um, and who that different people are different people. And that's a beautiful, that's a necessary part of the infinitude, really, of, uh, of, of the absolute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing, you know, if the seven seas were ink and all the forests were print, you couldn't ex exhaust the words of Allah. Each one of us is a unique word of Allah that can't be replaced by any other word. Each one of us is a unique tajalli, a manifestation of an aspect of the divine reality. And that uniqueness isn't contained in any other one. And so when, when the, those who know look at anyone and anything, they see that unique face there's the face of God. They see that unique face, that unique manifestation, revelation of the of the divine reality that that thing possesses. And uh, you know, for non-human things, 
non-human, non-jinn things, they're kind of all, they, they are what they are. Right? It's only us that can kind of, us and jinn that can kind of tie ourselves up in knots and not realize who we are. But because we can tie ourselves up in knots, we can also untie ourselves um, or get untied and participate in that recognition, which is what allows us to play the central role of being khulafa in the, in, in the cosmos. Yeah, alhamdulillah, you've been generous with your time. I guess there's one kind of like thing, you know, I was thinking about in, in maybe in closing as we get towards closing is, you know, these, you know, for instance, the books of Ibn al-Arabi, traditionally they were often, I mean, they're advanced texts that would be studied after one had gone through a, a rigorous kind of training, uh, you know, memorizing Quran, studying the fiqh and, and committing oneself to spiritual practice and even studying a lot of the practical manuals of tasawwuf of the spiritual mm -hmm. path and even in fact until a certain degree you know most traditions actually discourage people from reading uh from reading you know i i, I have a there's a beautiful story uh, a friend of mine who was studying in in hadr mountain dar mustafa and he had been there for a number of years, three, four, five years, and he was getting to be, you know, somewhat advanced um, student in that curriculum. And he went into the school bookstore and he saw a book of uh, Ibn al-Arabi on the top shelf. And he told the, the, the you know, brother working there, he said, uh, can, I, can I see that book? And he said, uh, do you have permission? And he yeah. said, no. He said, then no, <laughs> right? So this is idea, like we have this book in the bookshelf, you know, but until you get permission and, you know, I think about that and I think there's great wisdom in that thought about this a lot, but also I took the path through reading Ibn al-Arabi when I was 20 years old. And, and I don't think I could have really done it any other way personally. And yep. what I'm thinking about is, is really what, a lot of what we're getting at is because if you live in a traditional society where you see sanctified people and you're given a path up the mountain, so to speak, you have an idea of where it leads, even intuitively right. in the ambiance of your civilization, your society, and just the, the faces of the salihin. But I think in our modern idea, and even sadly, a lot of modern kind of quote-unquote religious people there's not even a sense that there is a mountain or that it leads anything everything's been flattened for people and so like i needed to read that so it's like oh this is what it leads to this this is the right. goal this is the higher levels of okay now I, I now this makes me want to commit myself to learn how to to climb you know what i mean the right. actual practice right. i don't know if you have i'm sure you have some thoughts about that i think that yeah. might no, I mean, I, I was I was very much like you. There, there was kind of I, I had a vague sense of what I was seeking. I was seeking truth, I was seeking reality, and I was seeking a truth that was at once existential, uh, aesthetic, beautiful, um, and moral, all 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 together. I knew I kind of knew what I was seeking, uh, and I was looking for it. And then when I started reading the works of Ibn Arabi and Rumi and others, I said, "This is it." Okay. Now I can really commit to praying and doing dhikr and all, like it, that's, that's what, that's what set me off because I, I had been searching and had I just been presented with, um, uh, you know, great, even great works like Imam Malik's Muwatta. And so I, I wouldn't have understood, I wouldn't have seen that kind of deeper thing that I was looking for in them, uh, because of the different context. 
that I was uh, that I was coming from. I was looking for enlightenment. I was looking for a profound existential realization of the truth, knowledge of self, who I really am, uh, knowledge of what the world is really. I was looking for certainty, all of these different things. And so, and this is this is very common. I mean, so many people, uh, especially from the West, but also other places. I mean, the the people in and largely in in West Africa and Southeast Asia and other places, even South Asia who were uh, the most successful at spreading uh, the religion, like actually spreading, not just, you know, forcing people to, you know, say, okay, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm sick of paying the jizya, I'm gonna, you know, join, join the team or whatever. But the people who were actually most successful in creating uh, real believers, real scholars, uh, were the Sufis. Um, and I, I think that there's a reason for that because they are appealing to something uh, in a certain sense that's universal. Like, oh, do you want to know reality? Do you want to know love? Do you want to know uh, truth? Do you want to be happy? I can share, I'll show you. This is, this, is, this is how you do it. And also, you know, see me. There's a kind of amongst, uh, amongst the, 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 those who have completed the path and, and, and come back, there's a kind of, just as the prophet was described, there's a kind of aura of mercy and peace and joy coming off them that's uh, attractive. Um, and so it's it's kind of an irony, but yeah, these these kind of highest and most esoteric and most um, uh, you, you could say in certain sense restricted teachings um, are the ones that in many ways have been respo most responsible for spreading the religion, um, not just today but you know throughout history. The, the the I mean, so usually the way in which these ideas were spread in Islamic history was through poetry, again through art forms, or like in uh, in um, the Southeast Asian context, you know, they had all kinds of different ways. They had um, the Wayang, the shadow puppet plays. They had uh, poems, music, dramas, things like that. Um, and these, these, these es highly esoteric doctrines become almost like folk songs. So, you know, Al Shushtari in Andalusia, North Africa, his songs are still sung today at like weddings. They're like folk songs, but they have some of the most profound metaphysics. Hafez, some of the deepest, most profound teachings um, and people can just kind of rattle them off. Uh, Amir Khusro, I mean, half of Bollywood musicals are just like, the lyrics are just Amir Khusro knockoffs, right? But they contain some of the most profound, elevated esoteric teachings. Hamza Fansuri in Malaysia, it's every, any Islamic society you look at, Yunus Emre, Turkey, um, Sheikh Ibrahim Yaz, Sheikh Amadou Bamba, and Nana Asma, others, you know, they, they these, these, these teachings get disseminated amongst the masses and are play a large role in attracting people not only attracting, but also developing the consciousness um, and the practice and the awareness of, of, of people um, and to, to who they really are, what reality really is, who the prophet is, and how they can follow in his footsteps to wake up and be who they really are and see things um, as, 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 as they really are. So yes, there's danger in these teachings because it can be very easy to think you're there when you're not, or think like, oh, just because I get this mentally, Oh yeah, so I get, I get, I have a kind of conceptual understanding that, you know, so I've seen Inception a few times, I read this paper, I read some Ibn Arabi, I have a conceptual understanding of a dreamer and the dreamer within the dream and the dreamer that, the conceptual understanding is not the same as the realization, as the tahqiq. Um, and one of the keys for that is precisely um, uh, the ethical component, because you, you can kind of fake the conceptual thing. But you, you, you can't you can't fake you're, you're on the sunnah you're not on the sunnah 
you've submitted your soul or you haven't submitted your soul. You really do see and experience God everywhere and in everything, or you don't. There's an existential lived component um, to that. And it's not just experiential. It's not just, it's not so much experiencing things out of the ordinary, but rather the quality and the way in which you interpret ordinary experiences, right? So when someone cuts you off in traffic, is it an experience of there's a person there who cut me off in traffic and I'm angry and this and that, or do you actually experience that as, okay, this is a sign of, you experience it normally, I got cut off in traffic, I'm frustrated, whatever, that doesn't go away, but this is a sign of God's and I can have all kinds of interpretations and things like that spontaneously come to me and I recognize what's going on. It's almost like if you, you, you look at letters before you learn how to read or before you learn how to read Arabic, let's say, you just see squiggles on a page. You're still looking at the same thing, but now you know how to read it. You know what it means. You know the meaning. Um, so the, 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 the danger with these doctrines, uh, exposing these, these doctrines and these ideas um, to, to, to people um, can be that you can mistake uh, kind of a, a limited conceptual grasp of it for realization. And that, and and the worst thing is then, you know, like Sheikh Ashadli said about nothing, you, you'll desire some kind of union with God or some kind of deification, mm-hmm. which is the exact opposite of what you need. And nothing will slow you down or keep you further from the goal than you thinking, because I've read these books, I've understood these concepts that somehow I'm deified somehow or somehow you're setting up a partner with God then with this show. It's the worst, worst possible thing. And that's, that's the danger. And that's why um, because these ideas can be difficult to understand, uh, because of their potential for misunderstanding and misinterpretation, especially outside of the context of these communities of practice and having a sheikh and you know, all, all of these other guardrails that are kind of there to keep you on track. It's, you know, you, you can easily misunderstand this kind of thing and go off the rails. Um, and so that's the danger with discussing these things. But as you said, um, we live in kind of exceptional times. Um, and I think these, these kind of exceptional times call for exceptional measures. And I think it's no accident that a lot of these teachings and doctrines and ideas um, have been made widely available um, now. It's not that the dangers no longer exist. They do exist, but there's also the danger that if you keep them so hidden, they, they, uh, people won't be aware of them and people will fall away. Um, if, they, if, they don't, if people don't get a glimpse of, of the core and they're just stuck on the, on the shell, they're just stuck with the banana peel, people will abandon the fruit altogether. Mm-hmm. You know? And if, yeah, if, no. if, all, if all you have of, of, of the Dean is certain exercises, as beautiful as, as, as they may be, but you, you, you don't get the meaning, you don't get the, the ihsan, the deeper dimensions, um, uh, pe- people will, will, will lose that. Um, and so I think it's kind of a, a compensation for the, the difficult times in which we in which we live but it's very by no means if if you think you've got it that's when you don't right exactly yeah it, it makes me think of like when i was younger i used to play basketball all the time and mm-hmm. you know you know we would get you'd get in this state that they call the zone right not the, not they call it flow state or whatever and like right. it was an amazing experience you know um, because, you know, as they describe it, like the hoop expands, time changes, you start to know where the ball's going to be before it's there. You know, it's a real experiential thing that I had as a young, like, teenager many times, right? 
and you couldn't miss, right? You literally, right. but but what's amazing is right when you thought this thought, I'm in the zone, you lost it. Right. Right when it right. went from the experiential to the conceptual, it, it you you lost it. And I think- well, the, the thing about the flow state, right, and about this in particular, once there's an I, once the nafs, once the ego reemerges, because precisely what this knowledge is, what it is, is it's the, is it's the rendering transparent of the veil of the nafs, right? So when that reasserts itself, that's when it's cut off. Yes. Right? It's, it's, the, it's the absolute humility. All of this is only possible through the recognition of our kind of paradoxical recognition of our own nothingness before God. Right. So the reason why a burning bush or halaj could say anal haq, right, is because it's not I am saying this, it's rather God is saying it through that person. That I, have no, I have no right to say I, only God has the right to say I. Mm -hmm. Which is why even in, in some uh, dervish cultures, the dervishes would never say I. They would say bande, like your slave, your servant. Or only the, God yeah, has they right. refer to themselves in the third person. The fakir, yeah. the fakir. It creates this kind of this kind of consciousness of yourself, like I, who I. Only God has the right to say I. Only God has the right to this this subjectivity, this thing that I normally identify myself as is, but an avatar in a video game, a dreamer in a dream. When that, when the ego reasserts itself, when when your when subjectivity attaches itself to your individual subject again. That's lost. Yeah. That's lost. You no longer become an Arif Billah. You know, it's 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 it, you're you're knowing through your own self, through your own senses, um, and and things like that. Which is why humility, um, and one of the things that comes out of humility is is wisdom and the adab of giving everything its due, um, including your own body, including your own self, because you have this kind of objective relationship to yourself to everything in, in the world because you know it through God and as manifestations of, of the divine. And your ego has no um, part in that. In fact, your ego is almost, it's like another thing that you give its rights to. Sure. You, you and yeah, identify. If you devote yourself, like thinking of this like caveat traditionally, if you devote yourself to these kind of like abstract con conceptual elements and not to the actual really polishing the heart to prepare yourself yep. to taste, right? It's like reading, yeah. you know, a whole bunch of books about honey, but not actually going to the spoon, right? Um, exactly. You know, what can happen, uh, you know, what some people call like the spiritualized ego, because the ego right. at all costs is gonna resist fana, it's gonna resist being transformed because it's self-preservation mode, that's its whole thing, right? So like, it'll take that wisdom and it'll fortify itself with that as opposed to being transformed by it, right? Every level, there's another devil. So all these things are, are really beautiful. And I also am reminded by what you say about like the, you know, we talk about tradition, you know, one thing that I think it, it may be harder to find in our time and especially in this pandemic time, it's like being part of, of, of a community of, right? They call it the fuqara, of ones who are on the path where you're really supporting each other and you're all working through your nafs. It's not always just all like flowers and sunshine, right? Because we ha we're still working. We're not, we didn't, we're not there yet. But yet when you're with sincere people who are truly, right? Al-Mu'min, Mirat Al-Mu'min, truly, mm -hmm. sincerely on the path, you, there's a polishing that happens in that company, right? Where you're all, you know, expanding and you expand each other in that sense. So. 
Right. And again, the fuqara called the fuqara because of that verse of the Quran. God is the rich and you are the poor. And the fuqara take that really seriously. They're like, we are so poor, we don't even have any existence. Our existence is on loan. Cool. Our consciousness is on loan. Our consciousness is just, it's on loan from, from God. We feel like we've kind of closed it off and we feel like it's our own, but it's, it, it's, it's not our own. It's on loan. Um, it's, on, it's on loan from God. And we try to, uh, being a faqir means you, you give back, you try to give back, pay back the debt. You give back, uh, you re recognize that you actually own nothing. Nothing is yours. Everything is God. You don't have any existence. You don't have any consciousness. You don't have any being. You don't have any sight, hearing, anything. All of that is God's. Um, and yeah, again, the, the mirat, the mu'min mirat of mu'min is another great interpretation of that. So yes, the brothers in the community is absolutely essential and it can be difficult. Abu Madian said the fuqara are a bed of thorns. You know, they, they, they prick, they, it's like, you know, I think it's in the Psalms, there's iron or Proverbs, just iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You know, that, that grating, you get two rocks, you crash them together, it's, it grates, but it, it, make, it creates the smooth surface. Um, but the, the other interesting meaning is, so Al-Mu'min is one of the divine names as well too, right? So Al-Mu'min, the believer, the one who's really a believer is the one who's the mirror of Al-Mu'min, the, the, the divine name. And the, 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 the real Al-Haq, Al-Mu'min, is the mirror of the believers. And this is, the, the, I think, the good place to close on. It's just as one of the, deep, the deeper meanings of uh, Adam and human beings being created uh, on the form of God. What's God's form? God is absolute. God is infinite. God is beyond any restrictions. Uh, and so what does it mean to be created on God's form? That also means that the, the human perfection, exemplified by the Prophet but the, the, the human perfection is similarly to be, to transcend all forms and be able to take on all forms. It's this kind, of, this kind of freedom and capacity and possibility and potentiality that transcends any imagining of it. Just like, you know, Allahu Akbar, God is greater than any conceptual construction or understanding of him. Because we're created on the form of God, the potential of the human being is also greater than any possible definition, conception, understanding we could have of, of what, what, what the human being uh, is and could be. And that's what the path is it's, it's, it's about uh, us realizing who we really are and realizing our own nothingness before God. And paradoxically, our own nothingness before God is the fullness of possibilities of the human state, which is beyond anything we could ever imagine. Um, and yeah, that's what it means to wake up inside the dream. That's what it means to, that's Foz and Aldean. That's really winning the video game. That's the great, that's, that's the great victory wow. beyond, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. If the doors of perception were cleansed, man would see things as they truly are infinite. For man has closed himself up until he see thing, sees things through the narrow chinks of his cavern. If the doors of perception were cleansed, he would see things as they truly are infinite. The pro yeah, the Prophet Islam said, if it were not for the worries in your hearts, and I forget the passions and this, that, a couple of things, you would see what I see and know what I know. You know, and that's 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 the path, inshallah. We follow in the footsteps of the Prophet to try to be like him in order to try to be like who we really are. Inshallah, may Allah grant us all of that in, in this life and the next. Amen. 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 Amen.